Before we get into the science of this week's ASF Weekly Science Podcast, I want to share my excitement that there is an autistic individual on my favorite TV show, 90 Day Fiancé. For those of you who don't know about this reality show, it's about couples who live in different countries and who meet, usually on the internet, of course, since it's 2023, and then they decide to get together in person and potentially get married. This 90-day refers to the restrictions on visas for people outside the U.S. to come in and live if they get married. They apply for a K-1 visa, which allows the person from outside the U.S. to come to the U.S. for 90 days. If they don't get married in those 90 days, they have to go home. This is really a first step to a green card, and since they're so hard to get and there's so much steps involved, the show has actually documented the process. So there's another spinoff to this show called 90 Day Fiance the Other Way, which backs it up to when people from the U.S. go to other countries to meet in person this person that they have met online, their potential spouse, before they even submit that visa. If you're confused, it's really not that deep. These are people that meet mostly online, and then this show documents the first time they meet in person. As many things regarding visas and passports and citizenships in the U.S. are, the K-1 visa is very costly and there's a lot of paperwork, so the producers of this show have a lot of time to plan and follow these couples. Anyway, one of the characters is Christian. Christian travels to the U.K. to meet Cleo, his girlfriend who he, of course, met on the Internet. Cleo is autistic. She is also transgender. Now, normally I have a strict rule not to like any of these people because, let's face it, usually they're awful. For those that live in the U.S. and go abroad to meet their potential spouse, they have no respect for that person's culture. They don't respect the environment that that person lives in. And sometimes the people from outside the U.S. are just blatantly trying to get here on a green card. Now, I don't spend too much time thinking about how much I dislike these people The show's a real hoot. Well, I can tell you I don't love Christian yet. He seems very mature. Um, Come at me if you disagree and watch this show. It's just my opinion. I don't think he can handle the complexity of this relationship on many levels. But I like Cleo. The first thing she did is break down what is known as the fourth wall. So if you watch reality TV, you know the fourth wall is kind of this invisible wall between the people that are being filmed and the people that are filming. There's not to be any interaction between the two. But she broke it and she started chatting with the cameramen and camera women and asking them immediately as soon as she sat down in front of them. She asked them about their zodiac signs and she started engaging them in conversation. These camera people were clearly uncomfortable. I love everyone that breaks the rules on this dumb show. The Zodiac signs are her obsession, an obsession that she admits, and she spends most of the first half of the, of the scene talking to everyone about their star sign and what that means. This is usually a no-no, but Cleo don't care. Cleo also wears something called a sunflower lanyard to tell people she's autistic in case she has a panic attack or a sensory overload in public. Now, I've seen these in the U.S., but in the U.K., they specifically seem to have sunflowers on them. Have you heard of this sunflower lanyard before, specifically the sunflower one? 
So anyway, it's early in the season and I'm already worried about Cleo because I'm not entirely sure if she knows what she's in for with this TV show. She's a model and she used to live in Italy and I guess she's used to some of the attention, but this show is a different beast. Many of the people who are here are media whores and they end up or start as social media influencers. Maybe that's something she's interested in. That's really not clear now. There are podcasts about this show, but I don't really know if she knows what she's getting into. Anyway, more on that. You'll hear more about Cleo and Christian in future podcasts. Anyway, enough about 90 Day Fiance. In other autistic transgender news, however, there's an entire issue of the journal Autism and Adulthood focused on the intersectionality of autism and LGBTQIA+. I have not had time to read the articles and digest them, so I'll save that for another podcast. Hopefully I can get one of the editors to participate because there's a lot of information in this journal. For today, I'd like to discuss the findings of two new papers that look into exercise and autism features. They're particularly interesting in light of this was a topic that was featured at a couple, an ASF Day of Learning a couple years ago. But I want to stipulate that exercise is kind of a broad thing. It can be 60 minutes on the Peloton or 15 minutes of yoga. It can be very intense and high impact, or it can be milder and low impact. There are short-term benefits and long-term changes. And guess what? They're not all the same. That's a shocker. So first, the good. Exercise is good for you. Everyone needs exercise, even if you're overweight or not overweight. It can promote social interaction and motor skills in individual and group settings. And exercise means a lot of things. Bike riding is one thing that showed a benefit on motor skills. Playing tennis on social communication skills. But these benefits are not limited to things done at a camp or that require specific in-person skills. Because not everyone can ride a bike. Maybe a stationary bike, but not a bike that physically goes to different places. I have to be careful here. My Peloton friends would say that the bike takes them to different places in their mind, which is good too. But I need a bike that'll take me to the grocery store. One recent study used a randomized controlled trial design to look at apparent mediated intervention on functional motor skills. One was online, one was in person, and one was a control group. The control group was given all the equipment, recordings of different, of different workshops. The parents could do something, but they were really given the level of coaching that the other two groups were given. This summary I'm giving is from a paper that's been reviewed and published, but not yet unblinded. So I don't actually know the name of the intervention yet, but it doesn't really matter. Here's a section from the paper on the intervention itself. It says that participating families in all the conditions receive the equipment needed to engage in games and activities at home. These include things like balls and cones and hula hoops. These games and activities were described both in written text and through a video in a web-based mobile application. The application include 200 interactive games for developing functional motor skills with each game identifying methods to increase or decrease the difficulty to provide individualization for the interventions. Parents or guardians in both the online and in-person groups participated in a 12-week program, which were four workshops delivered once every three weeks. The workshops covered things like sensory integration, communication, physical activity, and sports. 
In addition to these workshops, they were embedded with key content and techniques for physical and act- physical activity and motor skills to equip parents with the skills necessary for the intervention. Every three weeks on a Saturday morning, workshops were delivered in person as well as a live stream to the online group for three hours. The workshops were delivered by professionals who were experts on the different workshop topics. Parents learned and practiced different functional motor skills as a group. For example, during the sensory integration one, parents learned about sensory needs commonly associated with autism and covered the skills of things like running, jumping, and balancing. As part of the communication workshop, parents learned about the importance of promoting and practicing communication skills while learning the skills of hopping, galloping, overhand, and underhand throw. Now, I liked it because it could be very generalized. The point was to see if parents could be trained to help with physical activities aimed to support motor skills in their kids up to age 10 years. Usually, this part, the parent-mediated part, is not really included in an intervention. So what did they find? Well, parents can teach good skills on these things, leading to improved gains and improvement on motor skills, both online and in person compared to control, where they got access to the recordings and the equipment, but no workshops. These in-person, those that were in-person did a little bit better, but that's not to say it's in-person or nothing. Not only can parents do this by online ways, they should do this. One thing I've learned about dieting, it's not the short-term improvements. It's about building a sustainable model. And having parents work with their kids on skills is the most sustainable model to build good habits. So this was over time. This was a 12-week intervention. And it's about motor skills as they develop after multiple times. There's something about skill development, and then there's something about the increase in heart rate, sweating, and blood flow that's going on during the exercise. One feature of autism that might be modified through exercise is face recognition. Now, people with autism tend to have impairments in recognizing faces and the emotional valence or what emotion that face is expressing. Now, in typically developing people, This trait is actually improved during exercise, a result that the authors themselves found. It may affect brainwave activity, especially something called the 170, a brainwave that's modified by exercise and activated when people look at different faces. So this is typical development. What about people with autism? People with autism have changes in their N170 compared to those who are neurotypical when looking at faces. Does exercise change it? Can autistic traits and symptoms be changed through exercise? In order to do that, they put autistic kids with problems in executive function on an exercise bike. Unfortunately, they were almost all boys. This was a problem, I think, with this study, but it was still an interesting study. It was a crossover design, so there was a control group. This was a design where they split the group in half. One group got the exercise first, then the resting measures second. The other one got the resting measures first and then the exercise second. So there was a control group, it just wasn't randomized to one condition or the other. Now the results were very subtle, as in this is why you need statistics and clearly the effects were not huge. They found that autistic kids were the opposite of typical kids. In fact, that the cycling, and this is during the sweating, breathing, and I'm climbing that mountain stage, caused an increase in impairment in face recognition that was temporary 
and a temporary change in an N170 brainwave. This is temporary. This doesn't mean getting on an exercise bicycle for 30 minutes is going to worsen these autistic traits. It means this is a temporary thing that they found different in neurotypical people than autistic people. That's what I want you to take from this, that the mechanisms of face processing may be slightly different in autistic versus typically developing people during exercise. It's not that exercise causes harm. There was not a control group in this study of people without autism, and that's an issue. I was a little worried about mentioning this study only because people may jump to the conclusion that exercise is bad. It's not. These things have to do with temporary changes in physiological state. The brains of people with autism are just different. So maybe there's a little blip in the face recognition. Who is learning to recognize faces on a treadmill or a bike anyway? But if you want to support face recognition and interventions, maybe just don't do it on the track or during gym. You can, of course, improve motor skills then and even social communication skills then. So exercise is beneficial. Exercise may elicit different physiological reactions in people with autism who compared to who are neurotypical, but not major ones, and certainly not ones that override the need and the benefits of exercise to not just people with autism, but of course, people without autism. The links to the studies are going to be found in the podcast summary, and they're both open access. So read away. Thanks for listening this week.